Uh, if you have your Bible, open it to Song of Songs, chapter 1. If you grew up in church, you may have heard it's called Song of Solomon. Uh, it's the same book that we're talking about, Song of Songs, chapter 1. If you have your phone or tablet or whatever you want to read the Bible on, go ahead and get that out. If you don't have any of those things with you, there's a Bible that looks like this on the floor around you. Go ahead and open that up to page 468. And if you don't own a Bible, I just want to remind you this is yours. It's our gift to you. Please take it home with you and uh, read it along with us. Our new series is called Relationship Goals. That's the universal Jimmy Fallon sign for hashtag, in case you didn't know. Uh, it's a frequently used hashtag in the social media world. People see something they want to emulate in a relationship, and they will inevitably comment, relationship goals. Uh, well, we believe Song of Songs paints a picture of the perfect relationship goals. And if you're new to church or new to reading the Bible, uh, this can be one of the more difficult books to understand. I've read a lot of commentary this week and a lot of uh, different pastors and what they're talking about to try to really get to the truth behind this book. And in fact, if you are new to that, you might think the book is all about fruit and animals, but it's not. And if you've read it a lot and maybe you don't quite get all the symbolism, you might think it's all about sex. And while it's a very sexy book, it also talks about attraction and dating and marriage and growing old together and fruit and animals. No. Uh, one person called Song of Songs a theological masterpiece in that it shows a picture of marital love that instructs us in God's design. And so over the five weeks of this series, I want you to know that we're going to talk about the very sensitive topic of sex. And if you have young children or even middle school students uh, that come to the service with you, I just want you to be aware of that. You know Genesis Church. You know we'll handle it in a discreet way, but we're going to be very open and transparent about it as well. But I do want to point you to week four of the series, which is coming up on May 29th, which will probably be a little more, um, as my daughters say, saucy. And so I just want you to be aware of that. Uh, we have a fantastic Gen Kids ministry that would love to have your kids back there. They're going to teach your kids about Jesus and pray for them. And if you have middle school students, uh, you can decide if you want to have that conversation before May 29th or not. Now, before we start with the message today, I want to take a minute to discuss something that maybe on the surface seems really unrelated. Uh, I want to talk about what you should look for when you're looking for a church. All right? A lot of people choose a church on what the music's like, or is the pastor funny, or can I relate to the teaching, do I agree with what they say. Um, all those things may be important, but they're not the most important things. They're not the best things to look for when you're looking for a church. So I want to tell you what the most important things should be to you. Uh, four things. Number one, they need to be grounded in prayer. Like, are people praying in the church? Are they praying for the church? Are the, the leaders praying over strategy and over methods and over the message each week? Is the church grounded in prayer? Number two, is it led by the Spirit? Like, can you sense the Holy Spirit of God in the church? Do they acknowledge His presence? Do they talk about Him? Is the teacher seeking the lead of the Spirit? Is the music team uh, being led by the Spirit of God? This is important. All right, don't follow a, a teacher or a pastor who is only wants to make a name for himself. All right, I don't need to make a name for myself teaching. There's already a name that's above every other name, and he's the one I want to make famous, not me. Uh, I don't always feel that way. I want you to know sometimes I get very prideful about my teaching, but right now I'm in a good place, so I can say that. Uh, uh, number three, they need to preach the gospel. The church needs to talk about that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for our sin and talk about how Jesus came to live his life as an example for us and that God wants to mold us and make us into his image. Your church needs to talk about that. And number four uh, is the church under the authority of the scriptures. That, that not believing that the will of God is swayed by the winds of culture and the winds of change 
Um, but you need to always ask the question when you hear a teaching from a pastor in a church, where did this come from? Did it come from the scriptures? If you always agree with what the pastor says, it's probably not a good thing because here's the thing, you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. And when I read stuff in scripture, sometimes it stings because God will often use his holy scriptures to, to shape us, to mold us, to make us more like Jesus. And we can't be shaped or molded if, we're always, if we already agree with everything that's in there, if we already uh, think we're living up to those standards. God is going to use his scriptures to, to sting a little bit. You need to find a church that has these qualities because God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. All right. Why did I want that to be the first thing you heard me say? Because what I'm going to say next is going to make some of you mad. And you may get up and leave, or the more polite ones, you might wait till next week, but go look for another church. Some of you are now trapped because Cameron made you all move in, so you don't want to be awkward and get up, but next week you're going to think, I got to go find a new church. Well, when you do that, I want you to look for those four things in your church. Good? All right, here goes. God created sex. He invented it, every detail, every intimacy, and he gave it to us. It's a gift from God. Now, if you grew up in church, you may not have heard sex taught as a gift before. In fact, if, if you grew up in Sunday school or went to some of the student ministries, I know you might have heard sex is dirty, it's nasty, it's gross. Save it for your husband, right? It's not what we're going to talk about. Sex is a gift from God. And because he gave it, he has some say over how it should be used. Right? If somebody came up to you, this probably won't happen today, but I hope it does. If somebody came up to you and gave you a check for $5,000 and says, I hope that you will use this to pay off your mortgage or to help pay your mortgage, you will probably take that check and go pay on your mortgage if you have a mortgage. And if you don't, you'll probably feel some sense of guilt and remorse about that. And if the giver finds out that you used it for a, a trip to Las Vegas, for instance, uh, they might be a little disappointed and that they gave it to you for a specific purpose. Well, sex is the same way. Sex is a gift from God, and the overwhelming story of Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament, tells us that God's intent for that gift was to be enjoyed by a man and woman who are married. Anything outside those bounds is sin. And Jesus himself confirmed that. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said uh, that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, unfortunately, what God has created to be good has been perverted and mistreated ever since sin entered the world. Now, some of us wish that weren't true, right? Some of us wish the things that we've done in our past weren't sin, and so we will kind of manipulate and try to change what Scripture says about that. Uh, you know, we wish our culture was right. Our culture says you can do whatever you want with whomever you want. It's up to you as long as you're happy, and I know that for many today, sex for fun, like as a hobby, uh, just hooking up is sort of the norm. And, and if you are a student, uh, you're an oddball. Like if you're saving yourself for marriage, you're an oddball. You're the, you're the odd one in school. Paul talks about the culture this way in Romans 1. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's talking about how the people of God walked away from God. Romans 1.22, he says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, this is what he says, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. 
And so as we go through this series, I want you to know we'll talk about attraction, sex, dating, and marriage only in these terms, in scriptural terms. But here's the other thing I want to say. I want to talk to Christians in the room. Christians, we are really, really good finger pointers. We have a tendency to look at somebody else's sin and point that out and scream it out and yell it out and ignore what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. I mean, we all fall short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that. And, and many of us fall short in the area of sexual purity. And if I had enough time and I were a little braver, I'd stand up here and I'd tell you all the ways that I've fallen short in this area. But let's work on removing the plank from our own eye before we go after the splinter in our brother's and sister's eyes. Good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many gifts you've given us. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And Lord, we just pray that over the next five weeks, you will help us see how this is supposed to be used to, to give us pleasure and to glorify you in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, one of the mistakes we often encounter with relationship goals is we want someone to be everything for us that we're not. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, uh, which I don't recommend, I saw it before I was a pastor, but if you've ever seen it, uh, there's a scene in there, you can YouTube it, it'd be great. Uh, there's a scene in there where uh, Jerry Maguire, who's played by Tom Cruise, tells Renee Zellweger's character, he finally tells him that he's in love with her, and he uses this phrase that every woman swooned over when he says, you complete me, right? And so for many of us, we end up spending a good portion of our lives looking for someone who can complete us. But the truth is, another person can't complete us. Because all of us have a God-shaped hole in our soul that only Jesus can fill. But for most of us, we'll spend a good part of our lives, you know, by God's grace, in a loving relationship with someone. So we want to look at, over the next five weeks, what does Song of Songs have to say about attraction, dating, marriage, and growing old together? And today, we're going to start with attraction. I, I titled this message, A Picture of Attraction. And I think it's going to be equally applicable whether you're single or married. And here's what I mean by that. If you're single... We're going to talk about what you should look, look for in someone to whom you're attracted. Song of Songs has great things to say about that, even in the first few verses. Uh, what are the qualities you want to build in yourself to attract the right person? And then if you're married, I think this is going to help you too. Uh, because there's something I want to tell you. If you're married and you're struggling in your marriage right now, there are only two things that need to change for a marriage to be great. The husband and the wife. And if you're one of those two things, you only have control over changing one of those things. Do you know that? Some of you know that because you've been trying for like 30 years to change her and she's not changing or you've been trying, you know, to change him and you can't change him. Why? Well, because you can only change yourself. And so what are the qualities that you need to develop in yourself to become more attractive even to your spouse that'll help strengthen your marriage relationship? We see in the song a few of these qualities spelled out, like even in the first few verses. So let's start with Song of Songs. Chapter 1, verse 1, Solomon's Song of Songs. That's, hey, if you're into scripture memorization, by the way, that's an easy verse to memorize. Uh, Solomon's Song of Songs. Uh, verse 2, uh, you'll find very quickly, this is between, uh, this is a man and a woman who are uh, singing the song to one another. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Guys, is anyone else a little concerned that this guy's wearing perfume? Because, like, I think that's a strike against him, right? Actually, uh, this is a good thing. 
we meet this woman in our text, and she starts describing this man, and she adores him, and she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. She said, very practically, she's just excited that he smells good. And ladies, I mean, is that something you want to look for in a man? He smells good, right? Uh, he doesn't have body odor. He's using, he showers, he uses soap, uh, he uses deodorant, he brushes his teeth. Middle school students, this is a very important life lesson for you. This is actually not about the way he smells at all. In this day, perfume would have been rare and expensive. Uh, taking a bath was a lot less convenient than it is today, so perfume was important to cover up body odor. And so she likes this about him, yeah, but, but then she goes on to say, your name is like fine perfume, that your name is like this rare, expensive, purified oil. In other words, she's talking about his name. She's talking about his reputation. You have a good reputation. You have good character. In this case, I think the first of the four qualities we're going to look at today uh, is godly character. These are in your notes if you want to follow along. Godly character. She says, no wonder the other women love you. Notice, it's not simply because he's attractive or he has a nice butt. It's because his name is good. Like his character is solid. He's someone who's seeking after God. And you're, if you're a Christian, godly character is the most important thing you should look for in someone you hope to date or in a love relationship. I want to say it like this. Whenever you consider whether or not to date someone, the most important question you can ask is, will this person help lead me toward Jesus or away from Jesus? You can't compromise on this. You know, when I'm counseling young people before they get married, I'll always tell them the best reason for two Christians to get married is if they can serve Jesus together better together than they can separately. And yes, we've all heard stories of a Christian who marries a non-Christian and eventually the other one converts and becomes a believer. And I love those stories. I know you love those stories. I love them as much as you do. But I've been doing what I've been doing for long enough now to know that it doesn't always work that way. And so often it ends in heartache and pain for the believer especially. And so if you're a believer now, godly character is the first and most important thing you can look for in a potential mate. I've heard it said like this, singles who are looking for a love relationship should run as hard as they can after God and if somebody keeps up, introduce yourself. And some of you in this room are saying, amen, can you tell me where to find that kind of guy? And can you tell me where to find that kind of lady? You trust the Lord. He knows what you need. He knows how best to meet those needs. And if you're single today and you want a relationship, don't be afraid to pray. And pray regularly for that man or that woman that God has for you. Pray that it's somebody with godly character. If you're a parent, moms and dads, pray for your kids and pray that they would meet someone like that. Pray for the person that they're going to be married to someday. Pray that they'll find a mate for whom Jesus is the most important thing in their life. But in the meantime, as you wait, focus on who you're becoming. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. He says, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Isn't that good? I love that. Become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Well, what does that mean? Well, one suggestion is to take a look at the life of Jesus. He was the best example we ever had of godly character. What we see in Jesus is, uh, are the same things we can pray for God to produce in us, that Jesus was fully dependent on his Father for all things, that, that prayer, conversation with God was essential for him. He was obedient in every aspect of his life. He, he looked to the Word of God for direction. He, he was giving God glory in everything that he did, and he valued relationships with others. Ladies, if a guy can't be committed to relationships with the same group of friends, he's not going to be committed to you. Guys, if a lady can't commit to uh, the, her major in college, 
She probably has a commitment issue. She's not going to be able to commit with you. You know, Jesus was committed to these priorities. Are, are, are you growing in these priorities? And husbands and wives, this applies to you too. Are you dependent on God? Are you reading His Word? Are you praying? Are you uh, being obedient to what God calls you to? Are you committing your life to a church and committing yourself to relationships with people around you? Now, I know some singles think, I've heard this before, I'll play around now, but when I meet the right one, I'll clean up my act. Well, I've got to ask you, if the right one is here today, and he or she runs into you, what is it in your life that they're going to be attracted to? Don't compromise on this. Make it a priority when it comes to who you'll date, who you will marry. Pray and ask the Lord to help you become more and more like Jesus. We want to find somebody, and we want to be somebody with godly character. All right, let's go on. Verse 4. Verse 4, the friends say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Oh, he says, uh, sorry, she says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And the friends say, we rejoice in you and delight in you. We will praise you, your love more than wine. She says, how right they are to adore you. Still talking to the, to the man. Then she says, dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Keter, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Let's just stop right there for a minute. Now let's go on. One more. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. So what we see in this woman are, are, are two things that may seem a little contradictory at first. She has some self-esteem. She says, I'm dark, yet I'm lovely. So uh, she's not dependent on somebody else to tell her what she looks like or about her appearance. So many of us find our affirmation in what people say about us is what people say about our looks. But, but she also has a little bit of insecurity. Like she recognizes a man's tendency to be a visual creature. By the way, ladies, men are visual creatures. I don't know if you know that or not, but we are. Men are visual creatures. And, uh, and so she has some sense of personal worth, but then she's a little bit insecure about this. Why is that? Why is she insecure about her physical appearance? Well, in our culture today, being tan is often seen as attractive. But, but then in that culture, light or fair-skinned women were considered more attractive. Those who were lighter skinned spent less time in the sun, which meant they probably had means. They didn't have to spend time in manual labor out in the fields. But this woman, I mean, she, she's got a farmer's tan. She said, I'm darkened by the sun. I had to work in the vineyard. She's had to work hard. Life hasn't been easy. And, and, and don't miss this. She's not just secure, insecure because her skin is dark, but she's insecure about the way she's taking care of herself. She says, my own vineyard I had to neglect. She's talking about her body, that she hasn't really had time to take care of her body because she's so busy taking care of her family and her brothers. And guys and ladies, I mean, we see this so many times when couples get married that they start to neglect their own bodies, right? That the, the very thing that in, all, in many cases first attracted you to your mate, you let deteriorate because now, you know, you've got, you've trapped whatever you wanted to trap. And so you just let your body go downhill. And I see this in Hamilton County more than any place else uh, around is, is ladies who take care of their vineyard and guys who don't. And so guys, take care of your vineyard, man. Don't neglect it. Uh, uh, this woman's got a farmer's tan. She's dark. She's had to work hard. Life hasn't been easy. And she's insecure about it. She's neglected her own vineyard. Now this could tell us, though, that she has some emotional wounds, too. Like I've neglected my own vineyard. It could be that she's got some baggage. Well, don't we all? Now, here's what makes this story so good. We're going to see how this man will gently and tenderly fall in love with this woman and how he's going to take her and love her in spite of her insecurities. 
That as we go through this story, they're going to learn to trust each other. And that's the second quality you should look for in someone you're attracted to is growing trust. Growing trust. Watch this couple. They're going to start spending time together. And see for yourself how she's going to open up about her insecurities. And her transparency is a sign that they're learning to trust each other. You know, when you can be transparent with somebody, when you can be authentic with somebody that you're in a love relationship with or you're dating, that's a sign that you're beginning to trust them. And when you become attracted to someone, you start spending time with them, at some point you're going to have to ask that question, is this someone I can trust with my insecurities? Is this someone who will love me for who I am? that will love what God's doing in my life? Is this someone who defines beauty on the inside or on the outside? Can I just talk to the men for a second, men in the room? Guys, our world portrays beauty in a completely unrealistic way. I mean, just look at the women who are photoshopped, airbrushed on the covers of magazines at the grocery store. This standard is what every woman in the world is held to when it comes to beauty. And as a result, your wife... Your girlfriend, uh, your daughter, they are insecure about the way they look because they see this. This is their example, and this is what they're comparing themselves to. And, and guys, we have a choice of what to do with those insecurities. We, we can use our wives, our girlfriends, our insecurities as a weapon. Like we can feed them by looking a little too long at that woman as she's walking the other way when our wife's with us or when, even when she's not with us. We can feed those insecurities by commenting on how good that actress looked in those movies last night or even making comments about her wrinkles or her waistline. Hey, did you hear what Steve said today? He said, take care of your vineyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. We can feed those insecurities, can't we? Or you can build her trust. You can remind her, you're beautiful. You're the only one for me. Ladies, every guy at some point in his life feels like a total fraud. We're insecure about the way we do our jobs, about how we provide for our family, about how we love you as wives, about how we parent. And you can use those insecurities as a weapon. And you can feed them by reading books or watching TV shows or movies with impossible standards of manhood. Or you can build trust by giving your husband words that build him up instead of expectations that tear him down. Look, I don't always need affirmation from people, but every once in a while, when it's been a rough Sunday morning, when you guys aren't real responsive, I will, after the service, I will walk back to the Gen Kids hallway and find my wife, and I will say, honey, I just need you to tell me it was good in there today. <laughs> and she always does. And I, she might be lying to me. I don't know. I don't care. Maybe that's not biblical. I don't know. I should probably want her to tell me the truth. If you're in a dating relationship right now, ask yourself, is this someone I can trust my insecurities with? Is this someone who's going to love me for who I am? Let's go on. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? So, we got a bit of a stalker on our hands. <laughs> Like, where are you going to be? I want to come find you. What she's saying, though, she's, she's like, I want to spend time with you. She, she's in pursuit of him. You know, she, she wants to know where she's going to be. I, I want to follow you. But then she makes it clear. She makes it clear in the second part of that verse. I'm not going to follow you at all costs. She says, why should I be like a veiled woman? Now, the veiled women of the day would have been a prostitute. Would have been someone who would give herself to men for a price. Take note of what she's saying. She's basically saying, I'm not going to be like that. 
I'm not going to be that kind of woman. Like, I want to be in pursuit of you, but I'm not going to sell out my purity just so we can continue this pursuit. So what we see in this woman is the third character we want to look for in an attractive, uh, attractive mate, and that's higher standards. Higher standards. She has higher standards. She's not willing to sell her purity for pursuit. I think it's safe to say that 90%, all right, I don't, this doesn't always happen, but in most dating relationships, 90% of the time in dating relationships, it's the man, the guy, pushing the issue, trying to get the woman to compromise. 90%. Where we should be the ones protecting their standards. Have you ever thought about that, guys? I mean, we are often pushing the woman to compromise, and we should be the one that's protecting. Instead, 1 Timothy 5 says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So maybe, guys, the question we should ask in a dating relationship when it comes to intimacy is, would I do that with my sister? And if the answer is no, ladies, don't trade your purity for pursuit. Don't trade your purity for pursuit. What I think God wants us to see here is that she is a woman with high standards and that she's hoping that Solomon's going to be a man that will protect her, not pressure her, that he'll be a man with high standards too. See, if you're dating right now or you want to be dating right now, you've got a choice to make. And I think Craig Groeschel, who's a pastor, says this uh, better than I could ever say it. He says, the reality is you have two options when it comes to sexual intimacy in your dating relationship. You can honor God together. Right? You can decide together that God established this standard and that it's his best for us to preserve sex until marriage, or you can sin together, and it's your choice. But I want to just encourage you, don't wait until it's just the two of you together alone on the couch in the dark to make that decision, because that decision usually only goes one way. That train has left the station by the time you're there. You need to decide today And if you are in that relationship and maybe your boyfriend, girlfriend is here today, maybe after this service, go have that conversation today. Do I want to do this God's way or culture's way? That question has huge implications on your life. Because here's the thing. Sexual attraction is inevitable. We are going to be sexually attracted to people. It's what God intended for us. Can I just be honest? God intentionally wired us in a way to be sexually attracted to people. Like, he created our bodies. He created, without getting too gross, he created every part of our body. He didn't, like, create his thing and then say to Satan, hey, go, go have your way now. Go do whatever you want with him. He created every hormone in our body. He mixed them in the right quantity. Satan can't create. He can only corrupt, right? And so God created us to be like we are. But you and you alone get to choose what you do with those attractions, You get to choose how you act on them. Having attraction for someone is not a sin, but acting on that attraction outside of what the Bible specifies is. And unless we follow God's plan, we'll miss out on His best and we'll suffer the tragic consequences of sin in the process. So let your high standards influence the decisions you make, the people you date, and the compromising positions you might find yourself in. We'll see this verse again next week, but Song of Songs 3.5 says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I feel like I should just say something that's probably obvious for those of you who are sitting right here right now, you're in a relationship, and you've already compromised in this area. Maybe you're, you're not dating, but you've already engaged in sexual activity in your past. You're feeling guilty for it. Maybe you You're married, but you have some guilt over what you brought into that marriage. 
listen, you can't change the past. You can't do anything to give yourself a better past. But, but I know somebody that's already dealt with the past. Like our God dealt with the past for us when he sent his one and only son to die to forgive our sins. He died so that we can be redeemed. And I know you hear that a lot, but that word redeemed means to take something of little value and exchange it for something of great value. And God died so that we could have something of great value. He can give you a new start in your life and a new start in your relationship. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, for some of you, uh, establishing higher standards might mean moving out if you're living together. It, it probably means no more sleepovers, uh, no more traveling weekend visits to his college campus. And if you're not willing to change or he's not willing to change, she's not willing to change, higher standards might mean breaking up. Have a high standard when it comes from sex. It's a gift from God. Okay, verse 8. I'm in a hurry. I'm, I'm running behind. Uh, verse 8, he says, If you do not know, most beautiful of women, she asks, where are you going to be staying? He says, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. What's he say? He calls her most beautiful of women. He ignores her comment about her vineyard and goes right for the compliment. Now, he's not trying to bribe her. He's not saying what she wants to hear. He's saying what she needs to hear. He's being genuine and thoughtful. He, he's encouraging her. And I think that's the, the fourth and final thing we want to look at in the attraction, uh, the, the picture of attraction is consistent encouragement. Consistent encouragement. What we're going to see together through the song over the next five weeks is they're always encouraging each other. Look at verse nine. He says, I like you, liken you, my darling, that's a term of affection, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot, chariot horses. Now, I want to stop right here and just say, guys, this is where we want to use Solomon's template, but not necessarily his words. Because, honey, you remind me of a horse, probably buys you a night on the couch. But in this context, Pharaoh would have used stallions as his horses, he would have used males. And putting a mare among them, as you can imagine, would have caused quite a commotion. He's saying, you're one of a kind. Like, you're the only one I notice. You're the only one I see. It's like you are the only woman in a sea of men. And so Solomon is just really giving her a compliment. He's, he's being encouraging. And as you pray or consider the type of girl or guy you want to be with, you want to look, with someone, look for someone who's encouraging. Find someone who's going to build you up. Not lie to you, not make you feel good. You want to be someone who speaks life into you. Be with someone who speaks life into you, who points you to Scripture, reminds you of what God thinks about you. And husbands and wives, I can't emphasize enough how important this is in your marriage, that you speak life into your spouse, that you give him or her encouraging words that build them up. Words are powerful. You've got to be with somebody who encourages you. Now, as we close, I want you to see how these encouraging words affect this woman. Go down to verse 15, Song of Songs 1, 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And then she says, how handsome you are, my beloved. He compliments her, and she's moved to compliment him back. Now, I want you to notice something in this verse. We're in verse 15. It's the first time they've talked about physical looks. You notice that? You get through 14 verses before he says anything about her eyes, her body. And he starts with her eyes. We're going to talk about that next week. My eyes are up here, right? Or maybe I should call that next week's message should be my eyes are up here. Um, I don't know why I said that. It's taking us 15 verses to get here. So what they're saying is physical attraction is important, but it's not the most important thing. That, that I want to remind you that beauty deceives and beauty declines. But who someone is on the inside will outlast all of those things. So don't compromise 
on the things that matter. If you're single, what kind of people do we want to be attracted to? Godly character, trustworthy, high standards, consistent encouragers. For all of us, single or married, what kind of people do we want to be? What do we want God to produce in us? Godly character, trustworthy, high standards, consistent encouragement. One other thing I want to say, because I think this is important for the rest of the series too, while Song of Songs is a story of passion, it's a love story between a man and a woman, most theologians believe it's also the story of God and his people. It's a love story between God and his church, that Jesus is the real bridegroom in his story, and his church is the bride. He loves you beyond what you can imagine. And just as we all long for intimacy and a relationship to share, someone to share our lives with, I pray that we will desire in even greater ways a relationship with the one who will never fail us, the only one that can truly complete us, that will never let us down. His name is Jesus, and he's the name above every other name. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I am so thankful uh, that you give us this picture of what attraction should look like. And over the next five weeks, I just pray that you will speak into our hearts and speak into our lives, both through the messages, through the songs that we're going to sing, and even through the week, Lord, as we uh, look at your scripture, read your scripture, as we pray together, that you would show us what it looks like to have a biblical picture of a love relationship. God, we thank you for the time that you've invested in us today. We thank you how you walk, through, walk with us as we go through these uh, potentially dangerous places. And Lord, that you sent your son to pay the price for us, even when we didn't deserve it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a lot of times we end our service with a song, but believe it or not, there aren't a lot of worship songs about dating, sex, and love and attraction. So uh, we, that's why we put the high end of the, the worship up front. I'm going to be up here after the service. If you have anything you'd like to talk about, pray with, uh, I'd love to be here. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.